The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. Well, the Democrats are feeling a little desperate with just under six months to go until the midterm election. The blue wave isn't shaping up to be quite the tsunami that the left anticipated. So the party's most radical all-stars in Congress are turning up the progressive crazy dial to 11. The loudest congressional Democrats, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, and Sherrod Brown, all think the best way to take on Trump in 2020 is proposing an over-the-top progressive socialist legislation. That's their plan. More unaffordable madness. Now, it's working in some cities like Seattle, which we'll get to here in a second. But topping their fringe policy list, of course, is universal health care. That's universal medical care, Medicare. If you like the way we treat the vets, don't worry. We're going to treat you like that soon, too. Next is the Federal Jobs Guarantee Development Act, which has already been introduced by Cory Booker. Now, under this genius plan, the federal government will guarantee jobs for the unemployed. This one is estimated to cost over $500 billion a year. Third is universal basic income. So if you don't want to work, you don't have to. As soon as the left accomplishes universal health care, this one guaranteed to be their next pet project. Never mind that it's completely unsustainable in a country this large with a national debt that we already have. But the idea here is when your ideas can't win, you just bribe the voters with free stuff. Rounding out their fabulous five, abolishing the Immigrations and Custom Enforcement Agency, and legalizing marijuana. Wow, does that sound like a let's get America on track plan. This is the modern Democratic Party. They are proudly nudging America towards socialist collapse, and they've been doing it since 1912. Democrats haven't listened to the country. They haven't listened to their own people. They haven't learned a single thing from 2016. Voters are crying out for people who are just realistic. Does anybody have an actual solution? The left is offering just a blank check. Pie in the sky promises that can not be kept. You can say they really believe it. It cannot mathematically happen. Ironically, Democrats are ignoring a detailed report from their own party. We've talked about it before called the Heartland Democrat. The report is a blueprint to help them win elections. But it says, please stop taking on guns. Please stop standing up for the uh, murder of little children. The left doesn't want to hear it because the prescription calls for dialing back the crazy and moving closer to the center. People forget Bill Clinton didn't run as an insane progressive. That, That was his wife. And even look at her. She's moderate compared to where the Democrats are today. He was a diehard liberal, but he was close enough to the middle that half the country could relate to him. 
Lifelong Democrats in the middle of America see Cory Booker and Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren as the Marxists that they really are. And the average person, Democrats, in the center of the country, does not relate to the radicals that have hijacked their party. It's Tuesday, May 15th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Did you see what Seattle did? Seattle has voted the city council after a weekend of negotiations. Uh, they, they voted 9-0 to zero for the city's largest employers to help address homelessness through a new tax. Starting next year... It was five hundred and forty dollars, uh, I think, per per employee that this tax was supposed to happen, and now they have uh, they've reduced that to two hundred and seventy five dollars per employee for uh, companies that gross at least twenty million dollars a year in the city. So they're they're gun to the head Amazon tax. Mm-hmm. Amazon, in their eyes, I guess, successfully negotiated that to be lower, but it's still happening. Well, I remember. I remember when the progressive tax first started, they, they promised that it would never, ever go over 7% income tax, and it was only for the richest 10%. That lasted four years. I mean, Amazon is just foolish. What are you doing? You know, it's, it's like the company that, you know gives in on like some frivolous lawsuit right where like you settle it and you think to yourself well it's going to cost us more to go and 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 fight it so let's just settle it and give you know this person holding us hostage a bunch of money there you go and that's the same thing happening here right and and everyone in seattle should of course know that in you know a matter of months years they will come for companies making over $10 million and then five and then one and then a hundred thousand and then a thousand. And the tax will go up and up and up and up and up until the entire community collapses on its own weight. So they have resumed construction on their office tower in Seattle. So what happened was when they said, you know, Hey, we got about a $500 tax coming they said that's that's twenty million dollars a year, twenty-two million dollars a year just on Amazon. No, thank you. And they stopped construction on everything. They paused after the vote yesterday. They went ahead and and started construction again on their tower. However, they did say we're disappointed by the city council's decision to introduce a tax on jobs. And we have resumed construction planning. Yeah, yeah, they've resumed construction planning because that's that's that gun to their head, right? They know that I'd rather not lose half a tower. However, we remain very apprehensive about the future created by the council's hostile approach to rhetoric toward larger businesses, which forces us to question our growth here in Seattle. Yeah, so you cut it off. You do. They've they've lowered the tax enough for them to finish this building. But I think they're signaling no more, right? We're not going to continue to expand here. And, and with Amazon, it's the most amazing thing in the world because you've got every mayor in America making a cheesy viral video to try to get Amazon. I mean, it's embarrassing. 
It really is. It's like it's, it's like, like look, we'll babysit your kids. Yeah, it's like a pathetic nerd in high school yeah. trying to get the hot girl to go to the prom with them. It's 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 embarrassing, and every city in America is doing it, and every city in America should be doing it. I don't know about that. I I don't like I I of course want businesses to come. You want businesses to come to your town. I don't like the way they're doing it because it winds no, up I, being they're holding. Uh, yes, you know they're 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 looking for tax breaks. They're looking for special treatment. Yeah, and and that is uh, here's here's I don't like that. Here's what I do like. Here's what I do like. Our business uh, taxes and our business atmosphere is friendly to everyone. You know, Texas has to go out and court companies as well, but not all that hard. Not all that hard. When Texas was courting Boeing. They weren't talking about all kinds of, you know, tax breaks and everything else. Texas already has great situation here. You know what the, you know what they had to do in Texas? In Texas, the the wives of the Boeing executives said, "I don't want to live in Dallas or in Houston. It's a cow town." Okay? No, it's not. People get off the airplane here. I don't know what you expect in Texas. They're like, "Where? where's the saloon? <laughs> well, I don't know. I think it's trapped in the 1800s. It's, it's next to the spittoon yeah. over there. Yeah, I mean, it's like crazy. People really have said, so where are all the cows? Well, they're, they're there. They're yeah. just, you know, you're they're not going to see them. They're on farms. Right. They're not they're running in the street. <laughs> so, well, there's a few that run in the street occasionally. Right. Yeah, well, that's yeah. a, that's for tourists. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, the, uh, the thing that Texas had to do was convince people that it wasn't a cow town. And this is when Governor Perry was the governor. And he said... Uh, he went to the, the city fathers, the people who have all the money, you know, in the area. And they said, you know, if we want to be world class, we have to have world class arts. So they built an opera house and m- more museums and everything else. But they didn't do it with any tax money. There were no bonds for any of that. They didn't do it with taxes. They said, look. You're a patriotic Texan. You have enough money. This is the problem and the need for the state. This will be good for you. It'll be good for your community. Build a museum. Perot did. All of these, the opera house is one of the greatest opera houses. That, have you ever been here to the, the 100% Dallas? 100% certain no. No. They no. have other things besides opera there. but it, They shouldn't put opera in the name then. <laughs> yeah, well, it's <laughs> really, it's spectacular. I'm it's, sure it is. Yeah. It's one of the greatest theaters I've ever been in. And we've played a lot of really great yeah. theaters. It is beautiful. It's like the Kimmel Center in, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I in mean, Philly, it's, yeah. it's just mm-hmm. outrageously beautiful. Not a dime. Not a dime from the city. That's great. That's the way it should be. Yeah. I, and that's why people come to Texas in droves. Not because we're saying to Amazon, hey, we'll change things for you. We're saying to Amazon, no, it's different here. You should come. And that's great. Improving your town with private dollars is obviously a fantastic thing. I think a lot of these cities are like, well, what we're going to do is we're going to pass a law that says any company that sells more than a million books gets 0% taxes. Every co- We're going to give you lots of free stuff if you sell lots of products that are under the banner of the name Prime. 
And it's like, <laughs> all right, we know what you're doing. I, I, that stuff frustrates me because yes. that is the government just, you know, it's, it, it's, it's picking favors. Come up with a good policy. Implement the policy. Everyone gets to, to, to deal with the policy the way it is. That's what made America yeah. what, it, what it was and what it still can be. I mean, New York was doing this for a while. Here's New York with, as we all know, the worst tax uh, scheme that you're going to face outside of California, right? It's the worst one basically in America for business. No one wants to go. There's a, there's a giant island with a lot of tall buildings that you kind of need to be on if you're in a certain industry. Wall Street's tough to make that in Topeka, mm-hmm. right? So you go to New York and there's a lot of people who have to deal with the you know oppressive tax regime that's in New York. But they wanted to get new businesses to come to New York and particularly other places in new york so what do they do they waived taxes for all new companies coming to new york well if you just had a sensible policy the whole time you wouldn't need to lure them with zero taxes for five years zero taxes for five years you know what i think of as a business guy What's your six look like? What is your six going to look like? (laughs) Because they're going to jack. They're not going to be what they are now. If they continue on this trend, the taxes are going to be much worse in six years than they are today. And I'm not playing. You know what? I tell you what. Call the movers. Have them move us to New York. And then in four years and (laughs) 360 days, have the trucks back and we'll move someplace else. I want to talk to you about Casper. The idea of falling into bed at night has a whole new meaning when you start sleeping on a Casper mattress. I have one, and it's fantastic. The engineers at Casper have outdone themselves by creating the most exceptionally comfortable sleep experience ever, and you'll understand once you try it yourself. Casper has created three unique mattresses that will help you sleep cool and comfortable year-round. The Wave Mattress, remarkable technology built into it. It's engineered to relieve pressure points at 36 different points on your body. The Casper Mattress, more breathable and comfortable than ever and loved by nearly a million customers. And the Essential Mattress, an innovation at a great price point. Casper. Casper mattresses are all designed with um, zone support to coddle and comfort your every move. They they, uh, provide perfect support in every position that you might sleep in, but you're only going to be able to really understand it when you try it out for yourself. Try your Casper mattress for 100 nights in your own home with free shipping and returns. Go to Casper.com, use the promo code BECK, and save $50 on the purchase of your select mattress. That's Casper.com, promo code BECK. Save $50. Terms and conditions do apply. See site for details. couple of things. Uh, the bottom of the, uh, bottom of the news file that I think are important. Scientists think they know what the best song of all time ever is. I'd like them to tell me what they think the worst song of all time is, but we'll get to that here in a second. Aww, and what? What is it? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. There's but also. I want to know. I know. Is this There's, one of those teases? Yes, where it like, is. You're trying to get me to listen past the next commercial. Break? No, I'll tell you here in a second. I wanted to get to the trouble at Burger King. Oh, okay. That's there was a trouble. There was real trouble at Burger King, and uh, we want you to be aware. Uh, Manuel Silverio. He's uh, from Plainfield, Illinois. Had, had a problem. I think, I think a lot of people have been there, and I can include myself in this. Uh, he, uh, it was about 2 in the morning on Sunday. Uh, he had perhaps had a few adult beverages. 
maybe one or two maybe maybe one or two uh sometimes they come in a pack of six i've noticed uh, perhaps maybe a few packs of those uh were were downed um and so he he went to burger king because the only time you ever want to go to burger king is at about 2 a.m after you've had multiple six packs yes (laughs) so he went to burger king i think intelligently i think this is a good choice and you go to uh at 215 he gets there and he he realizes they're closed Mm -hmm. now this is a big problem because if you want flaming mac and cheetos or whatever creation they've come up with Mm -hmm. you want it at that moment so he starts to uh bang on the drive-thru window were, were there any lights on? Was anybody there? Or It didn't seem like anyone was there, okay. per se, because right. the, the place closed at, at midnight. Well, the king so. is still there. Well, the king lives there, but yeah, he right, doesn't right. mean he has to get up every time someone right. comes to the drive through yeah. window. That's not sure. the way the king... He's the king. Yeah, he lives in the refrigerator. It's probably pretty soundproof. And he makes the rules, too. Yeah. He's, oh, like, yeah, he's, he's the know, king. All he's right. not on call like you know, right. some it. physician. Have it your way when we're open. When we're open, that's yeah. fair. All right. So he comes, uh, he bangs on the, on the window. Mm-hmm. No one, no one's coming because it's been closed for over two hours. Mm-hmm. Right. It's actually almost the furthest point from it being open. <laughs> <laughs> 3 a.m. would be the furthest point right. from it being open. He's mm-hmm. there at 2.15. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he decides, uh, while he's hitting on the window, he decides to strip naked uh, uh, while he's uh, doing that. Now, I'm not exactly sure how that would solve the problem. Uh, I don't think that the Burger King people are going to be more likely to open? serve him. You know what? Well, while nude. You know, the guy's banging on the... No, don't <laughs> don't open it. Don't open the window. Just stay quiet. Stay hidden behind the fryer later. Okay, he's completely naked now. Oh. Well, now, wait a minute. Hang on just a second. <laughs> Fire it up. <laughs> Get the gr- Hang on. Turn those griddles on. Let's go. Flame broil. <laughs> uh, so uh, he was uh, uh, sadly arrested for this, which is, uh, to me, uh, mm. a Travis mockery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, uh, he, he was handcuffed, uh, charged with public indecency, resisting a police officer, and aggravated battery. God only knows what he was trying to hit people with. Uh, he was scheduled to appear in court on Monday, uh, I guess yesterday. So I don't know what the update is on this. Can we get an update? I want to know how the guy did. First of all, did he get whatever he was looking for at Burger King? Number one. And I'm not sure what he was looking for at Burger King. <laughs> I don't know, know either. Was... I mean, I, there's a lot of things that you can do in the nude. Mm-hmm. Eating Burger King is not one of them that you want to uh, because I you don't feel good necessarily. After, well, after you that. don't always feel like you look your best <laughs> after you eat. <laughs> you know, God, no. this is pretty much oh. really anything. You know, when you're kind of on an empty stomach, for some reason, you feel you look a little better. Right. You don't. You know? We should you be don't, clear. You, you look don't exactly look the same. Yes. But, yeah. but once you've had a big Burger King meal, you're kind of like, oh, I am a fat pig. Yeah. It's actually what Burger King does best. Because I've always thought that if there was a pill that they could create that made you feel like you felt about 10 minutes after finishing Burger King, you would be in incredible shape because that's the only time I don't want to eat. After I've had, you know, a a, a value meal with like one of those weird pieces of like uh, pudding cake that they put in the the Mm -hmm, triangle mm -hmm, boxes. mm -hmm. Once you're done with that, you feel like you could never eat again. Now, an hour later, I'm back at Burger King. Now you're asking for a 
you're asking for a pill that makes you feel like you do 10 minutes after. I don't know if they have that. But to make you feel like 15 minutes after, it's called X-Lax. <laughs> and they do, they do have that. They do have they, that. Yeah, <laughs> gotta love capitalism. <laughs> Mr. Glenn Beck and his wife Tanya started realestateagentsitrust.com because they were personally frustrated trying to sell their own home. Most people have a very bad experience because they hire a family member or a friend that is forced on them. And, you know, it's too nice to say no. This usually ends very badly for everybody involved. A home is the biggest investment you will ever make in your entire life. You need to have rock-solid advice because if you screw up buying or selling a home, it can have financial impacts that can last for many, many years. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a network of over 1,200 agents all across America that are rigorously qualified by Glenn's team. Their experience, their marketing plans, their character, the results they get for their clients. Those are the barometers the team uses to ensure that the network is made up of only the best agents in America. They're also a fan of Glenn and share his values, and hopefully those are your values as well. If you need to sell a house fast and for the most money, or if you're looking to buy, go to realestateagentsitrust.com. You'll be introduced to the best agent in your town. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Realestateagentsitrust.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. If you're like me, you're doing everything you can to raise your kids right. And it's hard in it's hard in Texas. I can't imagine what it's like in the rest of the country. Um, but it is hard. And, you know, you know that your kids are going to have to have education. They're going to have to uh, study hard. They're facing a whole new set of challenges that we've never seen before. And what are you going to do when they're college age? Well, there was a new study out that showed that political bias is is not what you even think it is. I mean, you thought it was bad, but the numbers are actually nuts. When you remove the two military colleges from the study, the ratio of Democrat professors to Republicans is 12.7 to 1. 40% of colleges have zero registered Republicans on the staff. 80% had so few Republican staff members that they were statistically insignificant. 80%. It's a problem that has been growing for a while. Now, history, there are 17.4 Democrats for every one Republican history teacher. English, 48 0.3 Democrat professors for every one Republican. It gets worse and worse and worse. Nearly 9,000 professors for uh, media studies. 9,000 of the 51 top-rated schools for media. It's 108 to 0. That's how bad things are. And these are, you know, it's, un- I think, unfair to say Republicans and Democrats because many of them are Marxist, flat-out socialists. There are more socialists slash Marxists on campus, I would wager, than there are Democrats on campus. So what do you do? David Barton is here to fill in some of the gaps and, and, and add a little color commentary on how bad it is. Uh, David, you and I talked to a couple of weeks ago about George Washington University. You go for a, a major in history. You do not have to study American history. Right. And that is a common trend right now. The top 76 universities in America, 64. If you go in as a history major, you do not have to take any course in American history as a history major. 
So that's 64 out of the top 76 colleges. How do you understand the last 200 years? You don't. And that's the easiest way to change it. If you want to change the direction of a country, you stop studying its history. Because history is an anchor that, that, that holds you back. And, and so this is what's happening. Uh, you find the University of Wisconsin now, a uh, part of that system, they're dropping history as a major at all. You can't even take a history major. Same thing's going in California. History major is not even available if you want a history major. So if you have no history, I, I, you know, it's the thing with Abraham Lincoln. If I told you Abraham Lincoln dropped a nuclear weapon on, um, on Thailand to end World War VII, you'd all laugh at me unless we hadn't been teaching Abraham Lincoln for 30 years. And then I could tell you that, and you'd believe that. So what happens is when you have no history at all, you can remake it into any shape you want. And that's what we're seeing coming out of high school. Uh, coming out of high school, only two states in the United States require kids to have any knowledge in government or civics coming out of high school. So you go into college, you get none there. Only 3.2% of colleges require any course in government or, or, or civics for graduation. So we're coming out completely non-knowledgeable. Um, 62% of Americans right now cannot name the three branches of government. So we don't even know what that. So if you can't do it, that's easier to have a new form of government. We can go to socialism or something else. But we're also not teaching math. I mean, the scores yeah. of, of math and, and reading and writing are unbelievable we are churning out 60 percent of our students now in in the major cities not being able to read or write beyond an eighth grade level that's right and and on top of that 19 percent we turn out are 100 percent illiterate they cannot read at all and so that's after 12 years of school 19 percent of graduates are illiterate and we're spending on the average about 13,000 a year about 165,000 dollars to make sure kids cannot read at all after 12 years of school this is so really important. Um, and I also think it's important that someone makes a movie about Abraham Lincoln dropping a nuclear weapon to end World War Seven. <laughs> that right. has to happen. That's, okay. That's right. All right. Thank you, Stu. <laughs> I really want to see that movie now. His kids are a little younger than mine. He'll care very, very soon. Um, so, so talk to me about the schools now that are they are not even they are not even looking at academic scores. No, they're, they're getting away from academic scores. Um, the, the two, there's two national organizations of math teachers, and they are claiming that teaching math is a racist course and, and it perpetuates racism. <laughs> okay, so people in it or people the... In, no, these are, these are the math organizations themselves. These aren't outside activists. These are, I guess, inside activists. Which number is the most racist, would well, you say? Well, that's a good okay. question. Mm-hmm. Eight. And I, and eight. I, eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was yeah. eight, too. It? It's, yeah. always, it's always it's like glasses on its side. It's always looking at you, <laughs> judging you. <laughs> yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Very oh, I've been thinking number. about it. Very judgmental. Well, the University of, of California system is now has said we're going to stop testing incoming kids on math and English because not only are those kind of racist courses anyway, kids just don't know the answers and that makes them feel bad. If we oh test my gosh, coming in. so mm-hmm. we're, we're not you're going to feel testing. really bad when you're starving. Well, see, this is the deal in America. We're so insulated, um, but when you look at international testing, America comes in dead last or next to last. And math and science and reading testing over the last two decades. I mean, we come in dead last. We spend more than any other nation in the world. We have the worst results in the world. And we used to have, in, in, in education, we used to have these nationally normed tests, Stanford Achievement Test, California Achievement Test, mm-hmm. Iowa Test of Basic Skills. And therefore, you could say, oh, Texas is number 47 out of the 50. We've got to work on this. Now, every state has their own individual test. So you can't compare states to say, oh, we feel great about it. 
So when you look at Texas, uh, we have our ratings here, but you're a superior school or whatever. As I recall, a superior school is one in which one-third of the students can read at grade level, and that's a superior school. And so kids say, our parents say, my kids go to a superior school. No, you don't know what that means. That means that's a really inferior school, but they've named it superior, so you'll feel really good about it. Mm. it it's crazy what we're doing with testing. <sighs> so, David, what, what, so what? So what do you, what? Well, I mean, parents, I just had this conversation with my wife, and she said, they got to go to college. And I said, no, they don't have to go to college. Well, but they, if they do, there's about three or four that I know of that I'd consider. Well, if you're if faith is important, you better think about college again, because right at this point, we're seeing stats that about 70 percent of particularly Christian kids when they go into college, leave their faith in college. And at Christian colleges, almost half the Christian kids going in and leave their faith. So when you I've got some articles here on what theology profs are teaching right now and theology profs in Christian schools teaching that Jesus was a drag king, that he had queer desires. Uh, that the Bible creates a rape culture. Uh, I mean, this isn't a Christian school. This is this is theology profs at Christian and not Christian schools. So oh my you're looking at pure indoctrination uh, at, at this point. You're coming out right now. If you get a degree and come out of college, twenty seven point three percent is all that can get a job in their degree field. So you're going to college and three out of four students will come out and can't get a job in their degree field where they've been trained because it's a useless education, but they will come out with a debt of about thirty seven thousand dollars. So they will have a three hundred and fifty one dollar a month payment for the indoctrination they've received, unable to get a job in their their degree field. I mean, this is what we're turning out. This this is a system that is absolutely ignoring free market. As a matter of fact, just take Harvard. Look at Harvard if you look at Harvard's catalog and search right now, the word you'll find so often, sexuality. 295 listings of sexuality when you look at the course catalog in Harvard. Now, how does that work in the real world? And what are you going to do with it? that when you get out? And so this this year's <laughs> listings of amazing courses at college. Do you have them? Oh, I do. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Let, let, me, let me pull it up real quick here. The list of colleges. Okay, here, here you go. You can get a, a course on tree climbing, which is really significant in the, in the real world. Uh, lots of courses on pornography. One on female sexuality. You can get one on maple syrup production. You can get one on the history of the pig, uh, hip-hop feminism. Um, uh, you get uh, medieval sexuality. You get rednecks, queers, and country music. Uh, vampire, the evolution of a sexy monster. Uh, campus sex in the digital age. Queering food. Queer religion. Queering God. Querying the Bible, learning from YouTube. I mean, just that, that's all the stuff you need. If I no, learn from YouTube, I'll just YouTube it. Yeah, listen, what do you, I, I have to go to a course? <laughs> now, listen, listen to this. I'm going to read you the course description. The course consists of students watching YouTube videos and then discussing them, and they also leave comments on the videos themselves. Oh, wow. Oh, oh man. I didn't know the comments I think coming. I'm already doing that. <laughs> exactly. Right. And I'm going to pay for this and go into debt. Unbelievable. To, so... Uh, you know, you, we got to rethink it. What we're saying is put pressure on legislators because mostly these are state-funded universities. It is your tax dollars going to absolutely destroy the country. Um, we, we, socialism is a great example. Right now, 75% of college students support socialism. Now, grab this. They cannot define what it is, and they are unable to give a single example in world history where socialism has increased freedom or raised prosperity, but they believe socialism is the right thing. Then you ask them specifically about other courses like that. They're unable to define it. As a matter of fact, a great example, I just talked to George Barna, national pollster. He just finished a poll where the 41% of Americans say they support socialism. 
He then took them in and asked them specific questions about socialism, found out that at the end only 2% supported socialism because they didn't know what it was. But they've been told it's a really good thing. That's indoctrination. And that's what's happening with kids is they're getting all this indoctrination, no knowledge that goes with it. And so they're coming out wanting certain things that will never work in real life at all, Mm -hmm. ever. David, let's talk about the one thing that you and I are working on to change this, and that is the leadership program. Yeah. Um, explain what the leadership program is. And if you have somebody who is in college or um, you're in college or somebody is that you know is between 18 and 24 and you want to enlighten them with the truth mm-hmm. and teach them not what to think, but how to think, how to find answers based on original sources – we have a program for you at Mercury One. Yeah, we do. And, and you hit a key word, truth, because right now, four out of five millennials say there is no absolute truth, period. Now, in the leadership program, within 15 minutes, we get them believing there is absolute truth because you just have to ask the right questions. It's amazing how fast this happens. Uh, it, it's amazing how fast you can change it by asking the right questions. And, and we show students really how to ask six or seven questions to their professors, pin them in a corner. I cannot tell you the number of accounts we have from students who have changed their professors and professors even admit they've, admit they've been changed. I mean, it's unbelievable. But what we do is we do believe there is actual truth. Indoctrination says there is no truth or I don't care what it is. And so that's what professors do is give you their viewpoint, not what mm-hmm. truth is. We show you that there is truth. We'll let you actually handle the actual documents, whether it be George Washington or, or things out of the civil rights movement or, or entertainment pop culture. And then we show you questions that you can ask to get to the truth, because we believe that truth is the ultimate objective. That's what you want with education is to know truth. So knowing what's there in colleges, what we've been talking about this morning, knowing what's there and knowing what these kids are going into, which they don't know what they're going into, we can kind of inoculate them. We can give them vaccination and say, hey, there is truth. You're going to hear this. Ask these questions when they tell you this. And when your professor says this, lead them in this direction. And, and I, again, I cannot tell you how 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 impressive it is to see what these kids are able to do in changing their peers and not being changed themselves. And that's what's so good about the leadership training is, is not only, and it's cool too, because we get these things back from kids that said, my professor said this about Washington, but I told him I actually held that document myself mm-hmm. and you're wrong. Cause mm-hmm. I saw, and once, once they see what truth is, you just can't move them off. It and it's really good. It is game changing. I have seen it happen and we have about a hundred slots left that are open and there is nothing like this in the country. Nothing like this. You can go to mercuryone.org, find the leadership training program. I think it's uh, mercuryone.org slash LTP, leadership training program. Get the, If you are 18 to 24 years old, you want to spend two weeks with us here with the original documents, with the, with the truth and learning not what to think, but how to think. How, what questions do I ask? How do I find the answers? There is truth. You can join us for the leadership training program, mercuryone.org. Classes start soon. You can enroll now at mercuryone.org slash LTP. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Yeah. By the way, in how many weeks? Four weeks from now, we're doing the... Uh, we're doing uh, highlights from the museum. Uh, I think it's in four weeks from I think now. It is. And yeah. it's, I'm going to talk about it a little later uh, today. It's really going to be impressive and remarkable. Uh, and it, it's really all about the rights and responsibilities of being free. And it starts with 
what life was like before the Bill of Rights. Kind of a dark twist at the uh, at the beginning, uh, but inspiring and something you won't see anyplace else. You can find all the information about that and grab your tickets now. David and I are both going to be doing tours. You can get onto uh, the uh, the list to give into one of our tours at mercuryone.org slash museum 2018. Thanks. All right. Let me talk to you uh, a little bit about how to learn, how to how to know what the right questions are. The crypto master master course that we have uh, going on with Palm Beach Research Group was something that we asked them to come up with. Uh, Tika Tawari's from the Palm Beach Letter. Um, he he was a, a hedge fund guy up in Wall Street and is now into cryptocurrency. Left Wall Street and and doing cryptocurrency has probably helped more people become very very wealthy than any other man alive based on cryptocurrency. Um, and he was in my office a few months ago and Stu and I sat down and we talked to him and we said, look, we don't know, we don't even know how to buy or sell a lot of times, unless it's one of the three cryptocurrencies, we don't know exactly what, what we're even looking for. What does it mean? How does blockchain work? He was so great. We asked him to put together a, um, uh, a course and it's smartcryptocourse.com. You can find it there. Smart cryptocourse.com getting a lot of feedback on it a lot of people saying i had no idea thank you thank you thank you smart cryptocourse.com go there now you know the one thing we didn't do this hour Stu, that we promised we were going to do yes i do the song the song you told us we were going to tell us what the best song of all yeah, time okay was. scientists have found a way to scientifically prove what the best song of all time is now Music is a subjective art form, yes. But they now say they have an algorithm to be able to tell. And there is one song that stands out. What is it? What's the song? Well, don't get snippy with me. We have plenty. Oh, we're out of time. (laughs) Maybe after the top of the hour. Glenn, back. California State University, Los Angeles professor, Melina Abdullah. She has a clear message for us. Stop calling the police on black people. She tweeted it out. Then she even pinned it. Don't call the police on black people. She repeated it seven times. I don't know if you do that in front of a mirror. And I'm not sure what happens. But that was her message. I I don't. I mean, does it matter if she repeats it? I mean, are people not listening? They have fingers plugging their ears. Are they going to read it only once or not read it unless you write it seven times? Her instructions are pretty clear. You know, don't call the police on black people. Now, she could have used the extra space for facts or statistics to make her point. But like academics uh, of today's world, why do that? Are we not supposed to call the police if black people are in trouble? Are we not supposed to call the police if a black man is being beaten by another black man? Does this mandate apply strictly to black people? What happens if the majority of, like in democratic cities, the majority of the police force, including all the higher-ups, all the way up to the mayor, are themselves black? What if the responding officer is black? I don't know what to do now, because all I've been told is, don't call police on black people. 
And arguably, Abdullah's attitude contains a clear hatred of the police. Ms. Abdullah describes herself as a professor and chair of Pan-African Studies. This is going to get good. At Cal State Los Angeles. Hashtag Black Lives Matter organizer, Pan-Africanist, hip-hop scholar. Not really sure. I'm not really sure if that works. She's a womanist. A truth teller and a mama. Her Twitter page is exactly what you would expect. A hate filled racist thread of accusation and activism and stories of black supremacy. Hmm, Wait a minute. Black supremacy. Her entire existence seems premised on the idea that blackness is supreme and whiteness is wrong. Wow. That sounds racist. But it also sounds exhausting, doesn't it? Can I just talk to people who are in this boat? Aren't you tired of being outraged by everything? I I think you're addicted to outrage. And it's really, it's got to be tiring to view every single aspect of life as racist or sexist or transphobic or whatever the phobia is that you are saying that whatever it is, that coffee cup is telling you. For, 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 for Professor uh, Melina Abdullah, make no mistake, this is war. She is fighting a war. Her life is war. And she is teaching our college students exactly how to look at their world. But don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Keep writing the check. It's Call Tuesday, them. May 15th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to Sarah Gonzalez, who is the host of the News and Why It Matters. Yesterday, uh, she told us a story of a, a, a horrific story of a, a death here in Texas. And the premise is, if you've been following what's going on in, uh, in England with the death of the children, where these hospitals are just making decisions, Sarah, death panels are here. Uh, they are. Many people follow uh, what was going on in the UK and they say, you know, well, we we need to be careful because usually what happens in the UK starts to trickle to the United States. So we just need to keep an eye on it. Well, we've let some things slip under the radar. And, you know, we do have death panels in Texas of all places, which is really disappointing because, you know, you think of Texas as this freedom loving state. Um unshockingly the death panel is not actually called a death panel so, <laughs> really well because death panels don't exist right right, right so right, right. but i mean for all intents and purposes they're called death panels what are they ethics panels yes ethics yes. panels ethics panel so it's much very, better than a death panel yes because it would at any at any point in time be ethical to consider terminating someone's life right you know who right. wants to stay alive right okay so you told us the story of um of um chris dunn yes who was a, a an EMS guy. Yes. I mean, he was a paramedic. He was he was going out and helping people his whole life. Yes. He he had some growth on his pancreas. They didn't even do a biopsy or anything else. They just termed him terminally ill. Right. Put him on a a, a breathing tube for some unknown reason. He wasn't having problems breathing. Mm-hmm. Uh and then said, "You got to turn off the machine." After he became, there's only a certain amount of time that you can be on a a ventilator before you are dependent on that ventilator for the rest of your life. Correct. 
soon as he was dependent on it, they said, yeah, we're going to have to turn off the machine. And there was still no diagnosis. Right. Correct. And meanwhile, uh, they had a hospital advocate who was talking to his mother and telling his mother that her number one priority needed to be to sign up for Medicaid. Uh, And she said, my number one priority would be, you know, my son who's laying in that hospital bed. And um, she said, why are you so insistent that I do this? And the hospital advocate told her because Houston Methodist needs to get paid. So, wow, yeah. Okay, so uh, uh, the mother is with us. Her name is Evelyn Kelly. She's the mother of uh, Chris and Joe Nixon, who is the attorney. They are suing. Uh, I believe I believe that they do have a lawsuit. Okay, uh, Evelyn, welcome to the program, and Joe Nixon. Thank you Hi. very much, Evelyn. Uh, Evelyn, I want to start with you. First of all, I am uh, I'm so sorry for your loss, and I can't believe this happened in Texas. Um, can you can you tell me? Did they ever confirm any diagnosis? They were treating him with for terminal cancer. Did they do any tests and ever confirm cancer? Well, they came into my room and they never sent a cancer doctor to Chris until about, I think it was about two weeks before he passed away. And because I kept, they kept telling me when I would not allow them and take his right to life, stop them from giving him those two deadly shots. Um, I would not uh, allow them to do that. And so they said, then they started with, Chris is eat up with cancer. Chris has pancreatic cancer. And I said, no, he doesn't. And they, they kept telling me this every day, all day long. And I said, okay, then send us a cancer doctor. Send Chris a cancer doctor. I never saw a cancer doctor. And so two weeks before he passed on, they finally sent that cancer doctor. And she walked into his room. She stood over his bed. And she never acknowledged me because I was sitting, I stayed there 24 hours a day, at least six days a week, and only went home one day a week. And she didn't even acknowledge me. She, she stood over his bed and she, um, I walked, I finally walked up to her at the, the head of Chris's bed and I said, can I help you? Cause I didn't know who she was. And so she said, Miss Kelly, my name is Dr. So-and-so and I'm the head doctor of, um, the cancer department here at Methodist Hospital, and she said, um, I'm here to diagnose your son. And I said, okay, so I'm waiting for this doctor to pull the covers back and examine him or show me, prove to me somehow, some way that, you know, what they had been telling me, that he was eat up with cancer, give me some kind of proof. And so she just looks at me and she said, I'm diagnosing Chris with stage four advanced pancreatic cancer. And I said, what? You haven't even pulled the covers back, lady. You haven't examined him, and you're going to write in this chart out in the nurse's area that that Chris has got advanced stage four pancreatic cancer? And she said, yes, ma'am, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I said, well... That is just amazing. I said, she, I said, How, you can just tell by looking at somebody they've got stage four pancreatic cancer. And she said, Miss Kelly, I was a, a doctor, a cancer doctor at MD Anderson for 13 years. I know pancreatic cancer when I see it. I said, well, Shazam, 
MD Anderson didn't know what they lost when they lost you, girl. And Evelyn, and so, Evelyn, if you can cor- correct me if I'm wrong, um, didn't they, they looked for cancer markers in his blood and that always came back negative? Every day. They kept taking blood, 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 more blood. So finally one day I'm going, what in the world are y'all doing with all this blood? And the nurse said, well, we're actually looking for cancer markers. And until Chris passed on, they never found any cancer in his blood. So so tell me about when the ethics panel came in and told you that uh, they were going to turn off the machine. Well, that was uh, first that this doctor, this very famous doctor at Methodist, it was a pancreatic liver doctor, came in after Chris was there for a few weeks, and he told me, he said, Miss Kelly, he said, I've looked over all of Chris's tests, and they did a jillion tests. And he said, "Um, I've looked over all of his tests. I'm going to take this tube out of his throat. I'm going to put a trach in in the base of his throat. I'm going to operate on Chris's pancreas. He said, um, the reason for the throwing up is there's a mass that's wrapped around the small intestine. I'm going to take out some of the small intestine. He said, if I can save Chris's uh, pancreas, I will. But it's not the, the, the tumor is not in his pancreas. It's attached to his pancreas. He said, but if I have to take the whole pancreas out, I'll take it out. And I said, well, wait a minute. I didn't think you could live without your pancreas. He said, that's a lie. You can. But it's gonna, he, he will be a severe diabetic from that point on. And he said, Chris is going to be just fine. Well, I'm waiting the next day for this doctor to show up. Never saw him again. Never saw him again. I keep asking, where's Dr. So-and-so? And they just kept putting me off, put me off. Days after that, I'm sitting on the couch. I'm in there with Chris sitting on that couch and I have about 10 people standing above me, looking down at me. And this this president of the ethics committee, he hands me these formal papers. He said, "Miss Kelly, I am um, the president of the ethics committee here at Methodist Hospital. And he gave me his name and he said, um, we are going to uh, come in here. That was on a Friday. He said, we're going to come in here on, on this coming Tuesday. We're going to take everything off of Chris. And my nurse right here is going to administer two drugs that we call comfort care. Mm. And Chris is going to pass on within eight to 10 minutes. And I'm going, say what? You're going to do what? And I got him to repeat it because I didn't think I heard him correctly. And he, he told me exactly what he had said before. And I said, who gives you the right to kill my son? He goes, oh, Miss Kelly, we don't call it that. He said, this is comfort care. I said, you can call it whatever you want to, Bubba, but I call it death. That is my son you're talking about. And he, I said, who gives you that right? And he goes, George Bush gave me that right. I said, when he was governor of Texas or president of the United States? And he said, when he was governor, this bill went past his desk. He signed it, making it into a law. Okay, so I'm going to take a quick break, and then, and Joe, I want to have you chime in. I want you to tell me about the ethics panel, because this is the death panel that we warned about. Um, the ethics panel, who are these people? What are their qualifications? Uh, and do they have the right to 
and life that they think is not worthy of living or too costly to um, keep going. This is exactly the argument we made when we warned against Obamacare. We'll get into that when we come back. So the volatility of the stock markets. The reason investors are becoming panicked is because of the rising inflation. And one of the few investments that can thrive in inflation is gold. One of the major reasons that I own it is for a hedge against inflation. However, you know, I don't I, I, I don't see myself selling it at the quote top of the market. I don't I don't. That's not why I own gold. I own gold. So I, I don't wake up one morning and see that my dollar is worthless and I got nothing. If you think it can't happen, look around the other countries that had bad inflation. They had to print new denominations to keep up. One of those countries was Zimbabwe. And there's nothing like when people start talking to you about inflation, you just pull out your wallet and you pull out a $10 billion Zimbabwean banknote. Really? It couldn't happen. Because it's happened throughout history. And we are prime for it. Now, I hope that it doesn't happen here, but if it doesn't, we will be the first country that has ever tried to print and borrow and spend our way into prosperity. The The only other times it's ever been tried, it ends up like Zimbabwe. Limited number of banknotes uh, are here in the United States, and Goldline will give you one just for calling. Get the free information and see why it is smart to have gold in your portfolio or your IRA. Goldline. Call them now. Goldline. 1-866-GOLDLINE. 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Read their important risk information and make sure you buy gold if it's right for you. We have Joe Nixon uh, on the phone. He's a partner at Ackerman LLP. He's a well-respected attorney here in uh, the uh, in the state of Texas because there is something that Chris Dunn's death and Evelyn Kelly, who's also with us on the phone, uh, his mother, uh, has brought to our attention, and that is the Texas Advanced Directive Statute, which which means that a doctor or a hospital can terminate life and terminates uh, sustaining treatment if the doctor disagrees with continuing care. And that's when these death panels come in. Now, they're called ethical panels here in Texas. But, Joe, is there any, is there any doubt these are death panels? No, Chris. Uh, good morning, and thanks for having us on. Thanks. I think Evelyn told you a great uh, story about how these things actually work. You know, a a patient who is is suffering and very ill, they're, they're either the patient or the family members are told that the doctor does not want to continue care. So, who's what is the qualification for getting on the committee? There are no qualifications for getting on the committee. That's what's so shocking and scary about this situation. So, you know, we have in statute the authorization of a hospital to put together an ethics panel there are no qualifications to be on the panel you're not required to be a doctor you're not required to be a minister you're not required to be anything you can be on this panel do you know who's on do they have to disclose who's on the panel no (laughs) no what what about 
What about uh, any, if the doctors have any kind of conflict of interest, like if they own part of the hospital or anything like that? Well, no. I mean, you know, there's always the potential for conflict of interest in that the doctor is employed by the hospital. The other people on the panel may be employees of the hospital. Uh, the hospital may have a financial interest in, you know, terminating care because it's expensive. You don't so, know these things. So is there a standard of, so we don't have any qualifications. We can't know who's on the panel. And is there, is there any standard of proof that they have to meet? No. Oh, my gosh. What? Well, I mean, this is crazy. We're talking about life and death. Right. That's what's so, that is what's so problematic about this statute. So we sued Methodist on behalf of Evelyn and Chris and claimed that the, that the hospital was denying Chris of his due process rights to life guaranteed under the Constitution. Uh, you know, you have a nameless, faceless committee without a standard of care, without a standard of proof, making a decision. And what's, what's shocking is, is that, you know, in Chris's situation, he was very ill. And, and he died like five weeks after they told Evelyn they were going to invoke the process in the statute. But, you know, there's no requirement in the statute that you be terminally ill. It is possible they could say, we're not going to give you care to a person who is capable of oh my gosh. walking out of the hospital. All right. Um, I just posted this story up on my Facebook page. Sarah did a, a, a really good digest of this whole story. But this law has to be changed. It is the Texas Advanced Directive Statute, and it has to be changed. Uh We'll continue to follow this and bring you updates as we go forward. Check out this story at theblaze.com and on my Facebook page, at Glenn Beck. Uh, I have a lot to say on the Gaza protest and Israel coming up in uh, about 25, 30 minutes from now. You don't want to miss that. We're, we, were, we were just talking about this, this law in Texas that I think is going to become more and more prevalent as healthcare locks you out of a recourse. You know, there's one thing about public shame and public companies and public hospitals uh, that they don't like bad publicity. But when the government is involved, you have no recourse. You, what are you going to say to the government? They're the government. They're the last firemen. And if they're the ones setting the fire, who are you going to call? Nobody. So there is this, there is this law now in uh, Texas, the Advanced Directive Statute, which puts together death panels in uh, hospitals. And they're called ethics panels. And they're assembled uh, by the hospital to hear the doctor's position if they want to off a patient. There are no minimum qualifications to serve on the committee. There is... Uh, no disclosure of who is on the committee. There is no standard of proof that the committee must consider. There's no standard of medical care or necessity to the committee uh, that they must consider. There is no record of the proceedings. There is no right of appeal. 
And there is no right for the patient or decision makers or advocate to present their sides, their needs or their wishes. When this family went and said, wait, you're you're treating my son with for cancer. There are no blood markers in his body for cancer. There's none. And you now want to you you want to kill him. No, because he didn't have insurance. This is what they believe. He was killed. By the way, this happened in the Obamacare era. You know, that time period where mm-hmm. everyone was insured. And everybody, right. And, and everyone it, got to keep their doctors. And everybody, you know, no, there wouldn't be people that just went in without insurance and uh, didn't get help. Right. This isn't 1999 back, you know, no. back in the day before the Obamacare was passed. This is uh, primetime Obamacare before even the individual mandate was gone. So if it's not like the government couldn't, the government couldn't do this. It will. But it couldn't do this and be constitutional. You can't take somebody's life without a right to appeal, without a knowing who the judge is, without without even knowing what you're charged with. He was charged with cancer. Can, can you show me the evidence of cancer? Can you help me out? You've got doctors who are coming in and saying, yep, that looks like cancer. That's not way. What are you, witch doctors? That's not the way we look for cancer. You had another doctor say we could we could surgically remove this, and it's not cancer. It's something. It's a tumor that is wrapping itself around the uh, the intestine, and I can go in and take that out. We might we might lose the pancreas, but you can live without a pancreas. Why wasn't that attempted? Why wasn't that done? Where 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 is that? Why is it suddenly cancer when there were zero blood markers for cancer and nobody opened him up? I don't I, I I mean how is that That's not constitutional. It's yeah cuz it's, it's a death sentence. It's, this is a terrible case obviously. I you know when Sarah first brought it up on the news and why it matters we were talking about it and I I I never heard I had never heard word one about that story. Nope. Um Sarah covered it uh, and I had missed it, somehow missed that back in a couple of years ago. Um but I had never even heard of it. And if you look at that and you say, well this case is a really sad case, maybe it's just a a one off Maybe it's, you know, one bad thing that happened. I mean, you can justify that, I think, and feel better about it. But when you look at, you know, there's a real structure here to let this thing ha- these things happen over and over again. And there's a bigger issue of that. It is, you're right, constitutional. It's, it's, it's a violation of, of, of the basic tenets that we believe we have here. You, you have to be able to face your accuser. You have to know yeah. what has led to your death sentence. You have to have a right to appeal. We're talking a death sentence. You have to have those rights. You, you don't have those rights under this? That's insanity. That's absolute insanity. And, and the, they'll say, well, you could go to another hospital. Well, because you just gave this diagnosis, no other hospital would take him. Well, it'd be interesting, too, because once you have a panel that is making your medical uh, decisions, can you take them to another hospital? I mean, we know that was the case in the last two babies or, or toddlers that were killed in, in the UK. They didn't have that choice. Well, we know that when she said no to them, uh, she filed a lawsuit and they countered with trying to get the hospital to be his advocate yeah. and to get the mother out. So, I mean, it's the same story as it was in England. Same story. Just I guess people don't care because, you know, he was a 30 year old guy, I guess. I guess this comes back to a larger sort of fundamental issue in which people don't understand the rights that they have 
the principles that the country was founded on. Uh, people don't, ha- you know, there's just not, a, you know, David Barton was talking about this last hour. There's just not a level of education as to what is supposed to happen in this society. We are, you know, we're doing the uh, Mercury Museum in, what, four weeks from now. And you have to have tickets to come. And I'm going to be giving some of the tours, leading some of the tours. Stu is going to be leading some of them. Um, and uh, and so is David Barton and his son. We're all going to be here. And we would love to see you this that weekend. It's the weekend of Father's Day. Uh, it's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, but but come and see us. We're opening up the doors on Friday of the studio. And we we are showing things that have never been seen before. Uh, and it, I'm, we're, we're still working on a few of the pieces that we're trying to bring in from, um, overseas. Uh, one of them is, uh, the rack that was actually used in the inquisition. Uh, and it is, it's terrifying. It is terrifying. There's also the, the, I think it's the chair of apology or the chair of truth doesn't sound bad both truth and apology yeah. can be good and yeah. truth is always good except it's a big wooden chair with spikes uh that okay. go through your back <laughs> through your butt through your legs through your feet and they just keep tightening the straps until you find the truth and the point at the beginning of the museum because it's filled with something have you ever heard of the pear as people are it's a piece of fruit right diabolical these people were diabolical now, a pear is something that you put in your mouth. It's made to put in your mouth, mm-hmm. and then you just start cranking it, and it, it, it opens up and opens up until ah. eventually you break your jaw. I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal what people did to one another in the name of God or the name of power when men did not have rights. And it happened again. You say you want to go out of the dark ages. Great. We'll mix medicine and will mix solid reason, right? And what do you get? You get the Nazis. Because as, as um, Nietzsche said, God is dead. That was a warning to the German people. What are you going to replace him with? We're going to replace him with reason. Hmm. Well, here's the thing. When people don't believe in anything, when they don't believe in God, they they stop believing in God, that one thing. They don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything now. So whatever is out there, they'll grab onto it and they'll believe it. And you better hope to God that it is not one thing that means death for everybody who disagrees. The museum is going to take you through um, some of the amendments of the Bill of Rights, and it's going to show you what that original intent was and why it's important and what happens when we don't abide by that. We're going to tell you stories and show you artifacts that you have never seen before. Uh, you can find out all about it at mercuryone.org slash museum 2018. mercuryone.org slash museum 2018. You can sign up to grab your tickets uh, for my tour or anybody else, or just come on your own, uh, but bring your family. It is something that you will not forget. It's a special showing of some of the items that are in the Mercury Museum uh, that are in our vaults that that need to be seen, and especially in this light of knowing the rights of man and where they came from. 
You know why basing a entire an entire society on reason doesn't work? It's because of law and order. <laughs> because you watch an episode of Law and Order and you will be convinced that one guy did it, and then three minutes later you're convinced the other guy did it. And it's like Dick Wolf has produced like seven thousand episodes of the show, and every one of them, I believe both people did it until the very end. And that is why basing something on reason doesn't it doesn't work. You have to have a principle. You, so, have have, so you can always be convinced of something new. There's always somebody who will come around with an argument that will convince so you of something to, unless you have principles. So continue, you know, uh, the progressive, uh, you know, theology. I think it's theology now. Mm-hmm. Um, we should kill Dick Wolf. No, I don't, I don't think so. Because he's making us question things, and that's not right. Just... Kill him. I don't think that and that's... Then no, everything that's, is solved. Stop listening to Dick Wolf. No. <laughs> According to Fannie Mae's latest housing report, April was a seminal month for homeowners. It found that consumer confidence in housing has jumped to its highest level on record. People who think that home prices are going to move even higher rose the most, and those who think that now is a good time to sell came in second. This It looks like the gloom and doom is gone, at least right now. Now is the time to sell your house. If you've been thinking about it, do it now. But put your put your house in the hands of a real estate agent that is qualified, that knows how much your house is worth in your area and has the proven track record of selling homes on time and for the most amount of money. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. realestateagentsitrust.com. You go there, you, you just sign up, say, hey, I just want somebody to contact me with, with by lunchtime. You're going to have somebody responding to you uh, and talking to you about your house and showing you what they think the house is worth. They're going to talk you all the way through it. If you don't like them, I mean, I think that you should make this your last stop. But interview, interview your real estate agent. Ask them. What is your plan to sell my house? What is your what is your advertising plan? And if somebody says, "Well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you, know, I won't take such a big cut off," of you. really, you're you don't even know the value of your work. How do you know the value of my house? Get the person with the knowledge, the skill, and the track record, and you will find them at realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. There is a a great story. You remember the shooting of the congressman, which was not politically motivated. No, definitely not. Right. Definitely not. Definitely not. There is uh, there's new research on this on on a couple of things. One. Yes, it was politically motivated. And two, um, the 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 amount of coincidence that stopped this from being much, much worse. Yeah. First of all, on the on the not politically motivated part, with the amount of attention and beating James Comey has taken in the media from particularly conservatives, but really both sides have beat up on James Comey Mm -hmm. saying he was incompetent at times. Uh, The fact that the FBI concluded that the shooting wasn't politically motivated. How is that possible? How is that possible? Listen to this. Uh, the guy, the shooter, carried a name of law, uh, the list of names in, of lawmakers in his pocket with six of them. Mo Brooks, Jim Jordan, Trent Franks, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the list included their office numbers and short physical descriptions. So, uh, again, like this guy was specifically targeting at least politicians. six Republican politicians. The list included their office numbers, physical uh, descriptions. He recorded a video of the field in April 
uh, assigned the prosecutor wrote in his official report that Hodgkinson had already selected Simpson Field as a potential target as early as April 2017. That shooting happened in June, only 11 months ago. ago. And by the way, that's kind of the point of this article is like, we really forgot about that one pretty fast, didn't we? We really did. We almost no. lost like 10% of all elected yeah, Republicans. No, I don't and think we like, eh. did. It doesn't fit anybody's agenda. I guess not. Uh, but still, it's amazing. Um, they had uh, noticed the shooter in the bleachers the day before the shooting. He uh, he uh, had fallen on hard times. He worked uh, moved from Illinois to D.C. in March 2017, telling his family he was leaving to protest, leaving in a van near the YMCA, near right near the field. Uh, his social media posts show that he hated Trump, supported Bernie Sanders, his campaign he even volunteered for. He routinely wrote letters to the local paper criticizing Republicans. When he, when uh, one of the congressmen left a practice early that morning, uh, this guy walked up to him and said, can you tell me who's practicing this morning, Republicans or Democrats? This is the Republican team, he responded. He said, okay, thanks. And then went in and started to shoot them all. So the idea that it was not politically motivated and that James Comey, who's leading the FBI, somehow came up with the conclusion that it was not politically well, motivated. Politically motiva- motiva- motivated, we, we immediately think, well, that's Democrat and Republicans. Well, this one clearly was. But beyond that, if a guy has a list of politicians, no matter who they are, mm-hmm. he has a political agenda. Yeah. He wants to disrupt the politicians and politics of the United States of America. Right. And that's why we always have this you know, issue with terrorism and whether it's terrorism or not. When you have a political motive like that, it is terrorism. Um, so there also was, you mentioned the coincidence. Listen to this. The shooter never got a good shot into the dugout. That's where everyone was hiding. And it was a dugout. Most dugouts at softball fields are not, down. are not, they're not down. They had a place to hide. The first shot hit the fence, diverting the bullet's path away from uh, Trent Kelly, who was standing right there. They should still have the, the chain link fence at the field still broken today. They have a picture of it in the article um, that he never thought to climb the announcer's booth where we'd had elevation. Can you imagine that? The pitchers weren't there that day. They would have been trapped in a batting cage throughout mm. the shooting. Can you imagine that? Um, uh, people who they go through a list of people who turn just the way, you know, so a millimeter left or right, they would have been dead. Um, the doctor didn't leave early who was able to help the people who he was supposed to. The ambulance hit all green lights on the way to the field. The gate next to the thir- to third base, to which the shooter could have walked right through and onto the field, was locked. So he had to, he started at third base and had to walk around the fence to the other side. Mm. And everyone says that that credits them for, for uh, you know being able to survive it. And the fact that Scalise was there at all. Because without Scalise, the Capitol Police would not have been there. And all of these guys would have been dead. All of them. Unbelievable. 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 Back in just a second. Glenn Beck. So yesterday, we opened up the embassy in uh, Jerusalem. Now, let me just put this into perspective what we did. We opened our embassy in a city that is the seat of power for the government of the country in which we have an embassy. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. According to Israel. So we opened an embassy. We did this after years of denying the truth. Everybody knows Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Everyone. But we've denied it. And we've been cowards. And yesterday, we decided 
to do something pretty non-controversial. It's as, it's as controversial as saying, you know what, we're not going to have our embassy in St. Petersburg anymore. We're going to have it in Moscow because that's where all of the leadership is. Controversial? Well, of course. But it's only controversial to those in the media that have a hard time recognizing what truly is controversial. Listen. This is controversial, moving from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv. We begin this morning with an historic moment in relations between the United States and Cuba. Is that the move, this very controversial move, which clearly is a blow to Palestinians. Who- it was a real historic day, steeped in symbolism, not only did the national anthem play. Underlining just how controversial this embassy move is. Reopened, rather, U.S. embassy in Havana for the historic moment. And right now, the ceremony for that embassy opening, which is highly controversial. Secretary of State John Kerry about his historic trip to Havana. On that incredibly tense issue of Jerusalem's final status. Historic moment this morning, the raising of the American flag over the U.S. Embassy in Cuba. In many ways, today is all about controversy, faith, and history. Now to the historic moment that is set to unfold in Cuba a little bit later this morning. The U.S. Embassy making its official and quite controversial move where the American flag is flying over the U.S. Embassy in Havana for the first time in more than half a century, the latest on this historic day. Why would the White House, in the middle of what they already know is controversial, choose someone controversial? And for now, we leave you with just some of the sights and sounds of this historic day here in the Cuban capital. (laughs) You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Let Let me just go over this. The controversy yesterday was that we supported a country created, in fact, the only country ever created by the U.N. It was a country created by the world. A country of equal rights that treats women and homosexuals and race and religion equally. In fact, the only country in the Middle East where that is true. We opened an embassy in the city where the government has its seat of power. That was controversial. What is not controversial is the embracing of a communist nation without any changes. Think of that. We fought a Cold War against communism And it's not controversial to suddenly embrace a communist country, a a communist country, which is a nation that has human rights abuses as long as you can see. Gulags, torture, death, oppression. We it's not controversial to embrace a nation taken by dictators who have enslaved its own people, silenced the press and kills those who speak out against it. That's not controversial to the press. But yesterday, doing what everyone knows is true is controversial. And the only reason why it was controversial is because the media and its allies want the Palestinians to win. Now, quite honestly, I want everybody to win. 
as long as you are not setting fields on fire, chanting death to anyone. I'm not on I'm not on the Israeli side. If they were on the other side, chanting death to Palestinians, death to Palestinians. I'm not on their side, but they're not doing that. They dropped pamphlets yesterday saying, please do not try to cross our border. Well, you shot an innocent child in a wheelchair. Well, wait a minute. Hang on just a second. Why would you have a child at the front of the line on a on a border where they've told you not to cross? You have slingshots, rocks, burning tires. You have launched kites in the hopes that you could set the kite on fire, which would then nosedive into the fields on the other side of the border and burn the Israeli food supply. Why are you going to put it? Does he have an emergency appointment in Israel for a doctor that maybe Hamas doesn't have? Why was the kid in the wheelchair even there? Even the Washington Post quoted yesterday, Supporters of Hamas and the people who were there at the border, Palestinian to cross over, asked what their objective was, quote, to gain entrance into Israel and kill Israelis. To the mainstream media. I can't explain us. I have no idea why we why the hell we still pay attention to you. I have no idea why anybody's still watching you. I really don't. We should just dismiss you. Your power is gone once we stop watching you. So I don't know why we do it. We're here to point out what you do so we can show the people the influence that you're having as you're trying to brainwash us. But those days are over. There's not just three networks anymore. We have other sources. We can go right to the source. We can see the kid in the wheelchair and ask ourselves, what the hell were people thinking? And it has nothing to do with the Israelis. The only real controversy here yesterday (laughs) is why we still give the people in media the power we do. It's Tuesday, May 15th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Speaking of that, giving power to the media, we were talking about uh, the... uh, Bizarre way we treat uh, Saturday Night Live and what it's become. And I, I feel like this this grows from mainly the Sarah Palin thing, yes. where yes. like all of a sudden they decided yes. what our job is here is to try to overturn election results or stop people from voting a certain way. Everything has been politicized. It really has. And like they've always done political comedy yes. on Saturday Night Live, but it feels like now that's just kind of their goal. They, yes. Like making you laugh is completely secondary mm-hmm. uh, to what their goal is uh, with a big G. So uh, Vice actually wrote about this. Now, Vice is no conservative outlet by any means. Oh, no, it's 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 practically Newsmax. <laughs> it's close to Newsmax, but not but exactly. More not. But more not. <laughs> you could tell that they're not Newsmax because of how much money they've raised. Yes. Because they've been able to get billions and billions and billions of dollars. And they're still not making it, are they? No, they're having a real tough time financially. I mean, they just cut off. Uh, didn't they just cut off a whole bunch of people or were they, they ruined did. Or, or rumored to do that? They did have a, a I mean, you know, look, the media they're, is they're going, going out of business. Level, so. They're there. They've yeah. run it into the ground. There's nothing left. Right. They're firing people. They're they're 
they're going bankrupt. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so uh, this is an amazing story, though, uh, from Vice. Uh, uh, hey, SNL, cold opens are unfunny elitist pieces of liberal propaganda. From Vice. It writes, uh, SNL, I come as a friend. Uh, your cold opens are terrible, cringeworthy pieces of self-satisfied liberal propaganda that are sometimes so bad they seem like parodies of themselves. Even if you avoid SNL, you probably hear about these cold opens, which are consistently politically themed, uh, but they're mostly just recaps of the political news of the week performed by A-list celebrities. Thanks to star power, these sketches inevitably draw headlines. Last Weekend's Affair, featuring Ben Stiller as Michael Cohen, Scarlett Johansson as Ivanka Trump, and Jimmy Fallon as Jared Kushner was no exception. And honestly, if you're a fan of very famous people appearing together on screen, a very successful genre, if the Avengers franchise is any indication, you'll get your money's worth. So this is, can we start with uh, the SNL cold open with Stormy Daniels? This is the one that he's talking about. And this is every week with these things. Yes. Uh, They make the news all the time. But this is the one with Stormy Daniels in it. Listen. Michael, did we hear Giuliani call Jared disposable on national television? Because Jared is furious. Yeah, man. I'm like, what the hell? I'm so mad right now. (laughs) You don't even want to see me. I mean, I could cut a bitch. (laughs) Don't even try to come for me. Oh, oh, Listen, Ivanka, you know your dad would do anything to protect you, but if he needs to, he'd throw Jared under the bus in a heartbeat. What'd he say? He said you're fine. All right, you know, I'll talk to you later. Mr. Trump? Where the hell were you, Michael? I don't have time to wait on hold. I'm supposed to be meeting with my new tre- chief strategist, Kanye West. <laughs> oh, then what do you want me to do? Call up Stormy Daniels and fix this once and for all. Maybe keep me on the phone, too. I'll just be quiet and listen. Stormy Daniels. Stormy, this is Michael Cohen. Are you alone? Yes. And what are you wearing? Excuse me? Okay, Michael. I can take it from here. Okay, but as your attorney, I highly advise against you. <laughs> so what up, girl? That's hysterical. So again, there aren't any jokes in that sketch. The only things that are notable are people appearing. Like Stormy Daniels is actually Stormy Daniels, and that's the seemingly the joke. The joke is the person they're talking about is on the screen. That's not a joke. And this is, I think, the larger problem with Saturday Night Live is it's not that they're, the, the politics are screwed up, which, of course, I would, say, I would argue they are. It's just that there's not, they're not even attempting to make jokes anymore. Listen to this. This, this is something I think you'll, you'll find interesting, Glenn. I don't know if anyone else in the world will. This is the first sketch of... La- this is nothing to do with politics. The first sketch of this past weekend's episode, Amy Schumer is the host. Mm-hmm. Okay? And the, the, the sketch premise is a game show in which mothers and uh, daughters or, or sons guess things, facts about each other, mm-hmm. right? Like a mother's mm-hmm. mommy knows best, right? Right, right. So what do you know about this? And, and the, the main joke in the sketch is there's one really creepy uh, d- mother-son pair that seem to be maybe incestuous. Okay, okay? Right. that's the main joke. But I want to draw your attention to a second d- joke. When it comes to comedy, by the way, incest is best. But go ahead. It is, of course. This is a, Now, this is a second joke. This is Amy Schumer introducing uh, the the game show and talking to her uh, her announcer, like the the on stage mm-hmm. announcer. Okay. Let's start there. 
To find out what our teams are playing for today, let's check in with our announcer, Cutie Pie Paul. <laughs> please don't call me that. Just Paul, please. Uh, our teams are playing for a grand prize of $10,000. And again, just Paul. Hmm, thank you, Cutie Pie Paul. <laughs> now, that's a, 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 a joke, I guess. Like the fact Is that, it a Me Too joke? I don't, but it doesn't get to that, right? That okay. was just right there. But when you have a joke like this, how, what is this, Glenn? As a person who's done comedy for a long time, you would know that like a joke like that doesn't have to be funny the first time, right? You're building to something, threes. right? It works in threes. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So you're going to that and you're building to something. So the way that that joke would be structured would be the first time she says cutie pie, Paul, and he's uncomfortable with it. The next time he would escalate that, she would escalate it to something more dramatic mm -hmm. and he would be more uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then it would keep going until by the end it got ridiculous, right? right? That's how you would escalate that joke. Correct. So here's the next time this joke run comes up. This is again Amy Schumer talking to the announcer. Close game so far, huh, cutie pie ball? Please, just call me Paul. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right. So it's the exact same thing. It's not escalated. And there's no punchline. He just, again, says the same thing. So now you're looking, okay, so are they escalating this? What's happening? So the next time this comes up. This should be the payoff. This is the payoff, right? Usually the third one. Mm -hmm. There I'd isn't, like Glenn, there isn't a third one. That is it. <laughs> that is the entire run of that joke. I just played you both examples of it. She says, cutie pie Paul. He says, don't call me cutie pie Paul. Then inexplicably, a minute and a half later, she brings it up again. He responds the exact same way. And that's it. There was no point for that to be part of that sketch. It's as if they screwed up and forgot part of it. It was the first sketch, the, first, the, the number one sketch they came up with. And in the middle of it, for no reason, are those two cutie pie Paul references. It never escalates. <laughs> okay. It so, never leads to anything. Wait, it wait. doesn't get to the Let third time. Let me just translate. Let me just bring this back to you. <sighs> okay. All right. So Vox is making the point that you would just turn this into just political nonsense. Vice, yes. Yeah, yeah. Vice. Mm -hmm. you, you've just made this into political nonsense. It's not even funny. You're not even trying anymore. I, I contend... That they're just as funny as they've always been. They've just gotten press because they've made political points. Well, so I they, they, yeah, their comedy hasn't gotten worse. No, that's the way Saturday Night Live has always been. <laughs> but it's like that is just lazy. What? Either take it out or do something with it. One of the two. You don't leave the joke in and then do nothing with it. These are not these are all professional comedians. They all are on the highest profile sketch comedy program of all time. And they leave that in there? That makes no sense. It's like they're just like, ah, whatever. Like they came up with a joke and that uh, would be funny if we call him cutie pie. Well, what it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, I just leave it in. But it's, uh, <laughs> that is the biggest problem with Saturday Night Live. They can be political they don't, if you're funny. They don't care. They're putting all of their time in the celebrity appearances and the political acts. That's their job. What a surprise. It's coming from NBC. But there is somebody else jumping ship on the NBC bandwagon. And I want to bring this story to you here in just a second. First, let me tell you about Simply Safe. Protect your home with a security system. Okay, that's easy. You just call up, you know, Wells Fargo or whoever. Or you can get Simply Safe. Well, Wells Fargo, I mean, they're going to come in and they're going to wire my house and I get the system for free. 
Mm, do you? Or do you pay 40 or $50 a month and it's an old, outdated system that's using hardwires? Or you can own the system for an unbelievable price and then you're not locked into anything because you have control over your life. Oh, and the monitoring that the other place is going to charge you, you know, 50 or 60 bucks. This is going to charge you $14 and 95 cents a month. And if you don't want it the next month, you just cancel because there's no contracts. See, there is, there is something to be said about freedom in today's world. And Simply Safe is giving you the freedom to control your own security. You want the best security out there? The one that keeps winning awards after awards after awards for the new way to monitor your home and to make sure your family and your goods are safe? It's Simply Safe. Beck.com. Go there now. Simply Safe. Beck.com. Get 10% off your home security system just by going there right now. Simply Safe. Beck.com. So I, I saw an article yesterday. It's official. Morning Joe is dead. Uh, <laughs> and it, it starts out, for years I started my day with a dopamine hit at 6 a.m. for Morning Joe. Oof. I got my fix a little later recording the show to feed my craving at a more civilized hour. But the debate was fun and stimulating. The tribe was passionate. And he goes on to talk about how this was a giant family and what everybody represented. And now everybody in the family just agrees. And there is no there is no variety on this at all. Um, and he said, I would not ask anybody in this television family to become what they are not or defend what they find indefensible. But I would ask that they would consider. Listen to this. This is somebody who loved morning. <laughs> Actually Joe. likes the show. The yeah. one person, one person who on Earth. It. OK, I would not ask that they consider. Um, I would not ask that they consider what is becoming obvious to others. Donald Trump may end up not only being a good president, but a great one with a powerful record of accomplishment, precisely because he is doing the opposite that everything Morning Joe supports. What might help is introspection. Hmm. Hmm. Donald Trump was a hand grenade thrown under Washington's door. Millions of Americans saw Trump with his gargantuan failings and excesses and chose him anyway over the world Morning Joe continues to defend. Someone might ask, why? What have we been doing wrong? Was our failure that majestic? Joe might even ask, what should we, the family that represents America's establishment, wow, hmm. learn from this massive rejection since our country did risk the entire future of humanity on Donald Trump rather than just go one more lap around the track with us? But neither old political party is asking those questions. And so neither is Morning Joe. And that is why it's official. Morning Joe is dead. According to a, I say this with all surprise, a fan of the show. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Our best to uh, Melania Trump, who is... Uh, huh? Just, uh, just hashtagging me too over here. Sorry, I was just telling Stu I've said everything I want to say. <laughs> There's not one thing I have left to say. <laughs> Nothing left. You really heard it all. So I, it's just, do you ever feel that way? Like I, I've already said it all. Yeah, I, I, I already it was about uh, said absolutely like 2005. <laughs> I feel that way, and then yet the next day, there's some you get story. Up and you're yeah, like, and you're excited you about it. But there's, I don't, other than the Israel thing, there hasn't been much new material lately. 
<laughs> I'm really bored. Are you politics, reading so. the same sources I'm reading? Because uh, uh, I don't know. I, 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 did I care about though? Well, I mean, CNN spent la- all last night speculating on why Paul Ryan tweeted his his feel good wishes to Melania before Donald Trump did. Uh, because that was that, that's telling about their relationship. Why would Paul Ryan do it first? My wife would break my fingers if, on the day she was having surgery, I tweeted to tweeted. her. Yeah, right. To her. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's funny. It's the same thing. My uh, Mother's Day was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys may have heard of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also my wife's uh, birthday this week. Oh, and she mentioned to me at one point. You know, I've noticed a lot of other people posting really nice tributes to to their wives about being a mom. Mm-hmm. You know, she she was running down and reading them, and she's like, "Why don't? How come you never do that?" <laughs> and I thought to myself, "I like ha, never does it cross my mind to seem put a like Twitter a stew tribute. thing, right? Like no. I, yeah. like my I have a the relationship <laughs> with social media that I want to have with like Ebola, which is like never be near it. Mm-hmm. But like I have, it's part of my world, and I have no mm. choice. But it, it's like I like this happens all the time when somebody dies. Like right now, uh, author died, uh, Tom Wolfe. Uh, oh, Tom bon- Wolf Bonfire died. of the Vanities, mm, among yeah, other yeah, yeah. books, famous, very famous author. And there's, everybody's t- posting their tributes to him and saying all these amazing things and all the books they remember reading, all their experiences reading his books. And like, I just never think that's a, that's how that's what I want to do. Like, I never am like, oh god, there's a hurricane and you know people died in X area. Like, I never think, you know, I got a tweet. Wow, my heart felt apolo- I feel terrible. The condolences to the person that got hit by that log that flew through the air at 300 miles an hour. Like, never do I feel like that's an appropriate mm. gesture. <laughs> like, it just seems like it trivializes it. And that's probably because I, mm. I, I'm like, I have an 89-year-old mind, and I guess I don't put the appropriate inf- uh, emphasis on social media that everybody else in our society does. No, I, you know, I wanted to mention, you know, uh, the kidney procedure, but I don't think it's... Like, I mean, what, what you does know, that do? our thoughts and prayers are with the first lady. But aren't thoughts and prayers the you, thing that matters there? The tweet about the thoughts yes, and prayers I doesn't matter. You. I agree with you. Right? Like, yes. you should be praying for Melania mm-hmm. Trump. You should. I mean, she's the first lady of the United States, and we all wish, hope that she's doing really well. Same thing, Harry Reid has pancreatic cancer, it looks like. And you absolutely, you praying for Harry Reid to get better? Absolutely. Even though I think every one of his policies was garbage. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm rooting for the guy to do well. But me tweeting about that does zilch. It's a giant zero in the in the, in the grand scheme of things, isn't it? Yes. So happy Mother's Day, honey. Well, I, I tweeted mm-hmm. about Pat's kidney surgery. I Did didn't. You? I love Pat. I love <laughs> the man. And he didn't tweet about and my surgery. And I did not tweet about his surgery. Well, I did. None so others would would know and, and, and pray. That was nice. Thank right. you. Stu doesn't if care. They ca- if they cared, they'd know. <laughs> if they truly cared, they'd, they'd know. know. <laughs> so, you know, I started this uh, earlier. There's a new algorithm out uh, that says that they can find uh, the most the, the, the most perfect song ever written for humans. Uh, mm. Being able to, to run this algorithm, can he, can he go out and find what is the song that is the greatest song ever written. You know, because people are just like, I, you know, I just really like that song. I don't even know why. I just like that song. Stairway to Heaven. No. Freebird. I thought it no. was always. It doesn't have to be one of those it two. It has to be Stairway to Heaven or Freebird. Or Hey Jude. Or Bohemian Rhapsody. 
Well, that's your list. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. no, that's everybody's list. I mean, how many times have we done research at radio stations? Those no, always come up. They always every time. Yeah, but there's always a Beatles <clears throat> thrown in there as well. Yeah. Hey Jude. Yeah. Always or let it be. Yeah. Uh, it's not. But a, it's none of those. It's none of those. More than a feeling by Boston. No. You're never. <laughs> Isn't it time by the babies? <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you know what it is? Tim? I have no idea. It must be a stand. Is it a standard? Nope. Oh, it's not. Nope. Is it is it classic rock? Uh, kind of ish, like pop yeah. from the past. Yeah, Barry Manilow, Oh Mandy. No, no, <laughs> no, pleasing. <laughs> well, an algorithm might believe it's pleasing. What do you think it is, Stu? I legitimately do have no <laughs> have idea. any guess. I, I mean, I would have guessed something like you know, like a standard, like a Frank Sinatra type of thing. Yeah, right. Fly Me to the Moon would be a good choice. You ready for this? Yeah. Africa by Toto. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that is not a pleasing song. <laughs> I, I love that. Toto, but man, that's, my, that's one of their worst songs. My son, I, I come <laughs> home, and my son on Apple iTunes is listening to Africa the I other day, and song. I'm like, what oh. the hell are you doing? <laughs> and he said, oh, it's just great song, Dad, by, no. by Toto. And I said, no, Toto no. has some good songs. Mm-hmm. That's not one of oh, them. That Definitely had to be not. one of their, they had two really big songs in the 80s that I really remember, which was Africa and there was one other one. Rosanna? It? it had to be Rosanna. Yeah, Rosanna, yeah. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's totally it. Yeah. No, I know they had a lot of songs. They're good stuff. Hold the line. Yeah. Hold the line. Okay. Yeah. You know. Is there more? Hold the line. Hold the line. <laughs> they got to three. Yeah. I don't think I would go any No, deeper. they had a few mid-charters few. there. But, uh, yeah, but, they had quite a few. But the big ones were Africa and and uh, and, and Rosanna. Rosanna. But Africa was, was I think, number one for like half a year. It yeah. was a huge song. It was a huge song. What, what is it about? Obnoxious. It's I about Africa. casting rain down on Africa. the rain about in Africa. Africa. It's about Africa yeah. and the rain. And the rain. <laughs> the song about drought is the perfect song? <laughs> Don't have any idea. <laughs> Did they come up with an alternative? Is there uh, like a number no, two? No, that was it. <laughs> that was it. Just the one song. Just the one. Okay. That's a computer I don't listen to. <laughs> that's a computer that's like, oh, and by the way, uh, let me tell you uh, where <clears throat> you should put your money. Shut up. I don't. I don't. <laughs> no. Well, Here's that, what you should do this weekend. Nope. That tells you why I don't like most of the songs my algorithm plays for me on Pandora. Really? It doesn't get you right? don't know my. Not really. No. Mm-mm. Yeah, no. I've noticed that there's a. Starts throwing in Bob Dylan and, you know, stuff I absolutely despise. And But do you. But do you. But that is. I do. Down. I, yes. I, I make thumbs sure that, that I give thumbs down to it. And then I get some other crappy song that I don't like. I, I, it doesn't well, you work don't that like, well for me. but yeah, because you only like like a yeah, certain yes, a certain that's not, true, not a genre, just a certain number of songs <laughs> in that genre. Yes, you know, yes, that you're is not true. willing to expand. <laughs> you're not willing to. Hey, have you heard something new? Nope, nope, not interested. <laughs> so wait, so is the guy in Africa? He just he's singing about Africa. Mm-hmm. He's saying he wants to stay in Africa. Is that what? I, says, I, I it's going to take a lot. You, I played that. I played that song probably twenty five thousand times, right. and I could didn't, not didn't tell you what a, it was about. Could right. not tell you a single mm-hmm. lyric. It, it's going to take a the lot rain to come down in Africa. It's going to take a lot to drag me away from you. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that a hundred men or more could ever do. I used to think it was when I was a kid. It was a, I used to? <laughs> there's nothing that a hundred men on Mars could ever do. I don't know why I thought it was that, <laughs> that but I was like, song, wow, Mars, not Africa. Why would they be? <laughs> yeah. uh, I bless the rains down in Africa. Gonna do some. T- gonna take some time to do the things we never had. 
It's a stupid well, song. That's a stupid song. A stupid this this song. is a dumb computer. Mm-hmm. Your algorithm sucks. It's not my algorithm. You, don't blame, I blame me. you. No, don't blame me. <laughs> it's good. What is this song about? I don't know. Uh, the wild dogs cry out in the night as they grow restless, longing for some solitary company. I know that I must do what's right. As Doesn't sure as Kalim- Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus above the Serengeti, I seek to cure what's deep inside, frightened of this thing I've become. What the hell is this song about? I don't know. I thought it was a nice little song about rain. It does't seem like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, I like it. The number one song of all time is about weather. Yeah. The number two, it's raining men. <laughs> uh, and not even, not even weather on the continent that plays that stupid song the most. No. Why are we tortured? What did we do to you? Oh, I, now I remember. We did do something terrible to them. Yeah, now I remember. <laughs> okay, now I understand. Now you got it. Now I got it. Okay, now I'm I do remember. afraid there was by the thing. man that I become. <laughs> Now, okay. Rounding people up and putting them on a ship. Okay, now it's coming back to me. Yeah, <laughs> the microaggression might yeah. have not been so micro there <laughs> on that one. <laughs> <sighs> if you're hiring, you need to find the right person. Finding the right person can make or break you. Uh, they're the ones representing you. ZipRecruiter knows how to help you find exactly the right person with the right skills and the right temperament. Because ZipRecruiter now learns what you're looking for, identifies the people with the right experience, and invites them to apply for your job. And it's the invitations that have revolutionized uh, your next hire, the way you find them. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter now get a quality candidate through the site in the first day. And it doesn't stop there. They even uh, spotlight the strongest applications you receive, so you're not going to miss that great match. Find that great match. Find that next hire. Find that superstar. Because they're out there, and they just need to know where you are. ZipRecruiter. Been used by all businesses, big and small. And right now, you can post your job on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Glenn Beck. I think we have, uh, I think I've diagnosed something here in Stu. I think he is either dying of some horrible disease mm-hmm. or he is going through the beginnings of his midlife crisis. Wow, two for two. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, uh, <laughs> no, I don't think I'm dying from anything. And I don't think I'm going into a midlife crisis. I'm not, a, I'm not worried about the things I was just discussing. Yeah. Well, I, it started from the Twitter rant I just went on mm-hmm. about how people are now tweeting about this author, Tom Wolfe, who died. Uh, and you know what they're not going to be doing tonight? Tweeting about that guy. It's going to last for the next hour. This guy with this amazing career of like a hundred huge bestsellers. It influenced tons of people. And people will tweet about it for about the next half hour. And then it'll be over. And that's it. I was listening to a radio show yesterday. And they did an interview. About a 10 minute interview about the career of Chuck Knox. Now, Glenn, as a guy who doesn't care about sports, you don't know. But Chuck Knox was a, a, is a legendary coach. Hall of Famer. One of the best coaches of all time. Uh, defined an era of, of NFL football. And there's this, it was about a 10-minute interview going back over his entire life. And it felt pretty much like a throw-in because the guy died and you got to talk about the guy. And then it's over. And that's it. And if so, if you're great, if you do everything amazingly well, if you're the top of your field for a generation, you might get that 10-minute interview the day after you die. Or if you just happen to be standing around greatness. For instance, Margot Kidder. <laughs> She was not great. 
No. She just happened to be standing next to a movie that also wasn't great. Right. But Christopher Reeve, who was also not great, <laughs> but was thrown from a horse and was paralyzed. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we had his moment of greatness exposed. She was around that. And so she got her her fame yesterday we can mock margot kidder right? i'm not mocking her. i know you're not yeah. but like i think you're right in your analysis of yeah. her she was not a great actress did not have an amazing career outside of superman no, but she right? was she was good but in the, she, was she was good in good. that and, yeah. and and then later i always felt bad for her because she went nuts didn't she yeah she had a really rough time really rough time uh yeah she real depression issues and went crazy and kind of came to the point of saying you know what i'm glad i went crazy in public because it helped me cure it like she has an, an, an interesting story that fills a tweet or two uh, and it's one of those things where Margot Kidder, you could say, oh, well, Margot Kidder. I mean, she was, she was not, she was in one classic, you know, series of movies that were two of which were absolutely horrible. Uh, Superman three and Superman four, <laughs> Superman two, when you go back and it doesn't really stand up, even though I loved Zod as a kid, it was a, I loved that movie. I thought it was a great you know movie, but you watch it back. It's very uneven and bizarre. Bottom line though, is Margot, that puts Margot Kidder in what the top point four percent of her field right like the fact that we know who she is decades after she's done really anything that she was an incredible achiever this is like one of the best actresses as far as success goes of all time people go and you think of this i'm like oh i barely even remember what are you talking about she didn't do anything else well she did something most people go into that field and do nothing now think about the people that are politically on the other side because you'll be erased. Absolutely. Be erased. Like, if if you're lucky, Glenn Beck, right? Like, you had a, you're a okay, person who's had no reason to go down this There is no reason to go down this road. And I'm going to think about me. I'm the guy standing next to you. They're going to be like, you know, he worked for that guy you barely remember. That's my, that's my obit. <laughs> and so my point here is not to think, oh, God, it's all meaningless. It's to think that your legacy is not what you should be focusing on. Because even look at look Harry Reid is a good example. Think of how influential Harry Reid has been in our world. This is a guy, and I think all negatively, right? To me, I think he's been a, was a terrible senator and did a, a million terrible things in office. Right? The guy was in office. He was a central focus of the news and and talk shows, and changing and the changing fabric the, of America, the fabric of America. And again, you either mm-hmm. think that's really good or really bad, but you you have to acknowledge yes. his influence. Yes. And here's a guy who left office. He just walked out. He just left office really recently. And here he is with pancreatic cancer going on right now. And people are like, oh, man, I, I mean, rightly so. I feel terrible about him. But it's a tweet about it. You feel terrible about him. And people will, when he passes on, God forbid, will acknowledge his influence for a couple of days. And that will be it. And he's probably spent the last two decades focusing on his legacy and what he's left. I don't think that he will get two days. John McCain will. John McCain will. Yes. I don't know Harry Reid will. It's an amazing. John McCain will because of Reagan, standing next to Reagan, and being who he was in Vietnam. Well, and and McCain's amazing, too, because now the media is like this, how Donald Trump uh, has this, the people in his office, they won't apologize for this crude joke. And it's been now, what, a week-long story. And it's about this joke that someone made. It wasn't a joke. It didn't seem like a joke. 
it just sounded like the, you know someone said something that looked what may have been inappropriate and it was leaked out and that so it goes back and forth and back and forth and now the media is like well this is the most amazing man we've ever had in the world of politics where was this analysis in 2008 he was the same guy back in 2008 you thought he was the worst racist hate monger that ever ex- existed the point is all this means nothing you should care about your family you should care about things that actually matter to you because when you think about your legacy and who's going to be tweeting you after you die you get a okay. little depressed i don't know if i'll be here tomorrow but uh <laughs> thanks for Glenn listening back mercury